Now think about this. We learned something in the New Testament. On Genesis, we have some divine commentary. I think you could assume it to be true, but God explicitly says it's true in the New Testament that Noah was, quote, 2 Peter 2, 5, put it out in the margin, a preacher of righteousness. In other words, all the time while Noah was building that ark, God was not hiding his intentions. He was warning men. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part three and the conclusion of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, Noah's Day and Jesus' Return. If Jesus said that there is a parallel between Noah's day and our day, what lessons can we learn from Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 8? By way of application, Pastor Carl says that we know we are ready for his return if we are not being shaped by the culture, walking by faith, and have a godly fear. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he continues. And so just as Noah entered into a brand new world after the flood, during the millennial reign of the Messiah, we will go into a revitalized, reconstinated world. And Luke 17 underscores it this way. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. And answering, they said to him, where, Lord? Where, Lord? Don't miss that. Where, Lord? And he said to them, where the body is, there also the vultures will be gathered. I mentioned to you last week, we live in a state where vultures are everywhere. It's kind of neat. I love to watch them fly high in the sky and see their beautiful wingspan. Some people hate them. Look, they're God's garbage cans. They keep things clean around here. In either case, uh, just as the body causes vultures to gather, so spiritually dead people are consigned and disqualified from the coming kingdom. Now, we'll discuss that further when we come to the Olivet Discourse. But what I want you to see is that the second coming, those who are left behind are believers. Those who are carried away in judgment are unbelievers. Now, it's just the opposite of the rapture. Those who are caught up are believers. Those who are left behind are unbelievers. So you don't want to be left behind in the rapture. If you were a tribulation saint, none of you will be able to be because you've heard the gospel before the tribulation. If you don't believe it before the rapture, you'll believe what's false. But the people who will want indeed to be left behind at the second coming are tribulation saints. So here's the point. They were eating, drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage just as if nothing had ever happened. And again, contrary to popular commentary that this is a reference to drunkenness and divorce. He's not speaking of that. Listen to the parallel passage, Luke 17. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it shall be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. There it is again, eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. What does that mean? Well, Jesus then adds, it will be the same on the day the Son of Man will be revealed. In other words, the parallel here is clear. Right up until the very day the flood came, people were carrying on as if everything were normal. They were enjoying their food, their drink. They were giving their children away in marriage. They were buying, they were selling, they were planning, they were building. But in spite of the preaching of Noah, they just yawned at his sermons ignored the warning that he gave. They were just as sure that tomorrow would come as today was very much as alive. But this was a people who were living in gross 
apostasy and godless anarchy and indeed in great apathy. And in the final analysis, we read here in Genesis 6 and verse 6, and the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals, to creeping things, and to the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor, or you could render it grace, in the eyes of the Lord. Noah is a breath of fresh air in the midst of all this judgment. Now, if Jesus said there's a parallel between Noah's day and our day, what lessons can we learn? Three lessons I want you to underscore in your thinking this morning. Number one, I know I'm ready for Jesus' return if I'm not being shaped by the culture. I know I am ready for his return if the culture is not shaping me. Now, I know that the environment of the last days is going to be evil because God tells us. And I hope you know that as we approach the end of the age, things are not going to get better. Things are going to get worse. You say you're a pessimist. I'm not a pessimist. I'm a biblicist. I'm a realist. That's precisely what God says. That ultimately, as Christians, we will have more and more and more people who will oppose our value system. And the two camps will become more and more clearly divided. Again, Jesus said most people's love will grow cold. He's describing, we'll look at this verse next week, contextually believers. The love of most believers will grow cold. And so they will rationalize their behavior and their sin and adopt the ways of the world. Now listen, like Noah, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I remember back in 1977, I had been a believer for just a couple of years, and I did my very first in-depth study on Bible prophecy. The more I read and studied what God said about the future days, I was motivated to follow him. And by the way, that's what a balanced study of Bible prophecy does. Listen to these words in 1 John 3, 3. And everyone who has this hope, the hope of Jesus' return, everyone who has this hope fixed on him, purifies himself just as he is pure. I think I had a sense maybe of what Noah had felt as God revealed to him the impending judgment that was coming on the wicked generation in which he lived. And I said, Lord, if no one else wants to honor the Lord, say, I want to. If no one else wants to keep their mind pure, I want to. If no one else wants to read and study the word of God, I want to. If no one else wants to tie to the local church, I want to. If no one else wants to win people to Jesus, I want to. God, I want to obey you. I want to walk with you. And that's what a right study of Bible prophecy will do to your heart. Let me ask you, what is the driving passion of your heart this morning? See, Noah gave his full attention to the things of God. Surely he still had to farm and feed his family and have a regular job. But the rest of his time, he spent in the construction of the ark that was like an ocean liner. And all the while they are marrying, they were being given marriage, they were buying, they were planning, they were building their houses. The rest of the world was living high off the hog. And I imagine they thought Noah was a fool. That he was different. That he was not normal. Some of the young teenagers have been telling me of the opposition that they face. That they're viewed as not normal. Yes, you can expect it, but blessed are you when men persecute you. 
He took his time, talent, and treasure, and he built a boat that wouldn't even float. But there was a turning point when all the real estate that men had was not very real because it was covered up in water. All their money was absolutely useless. They lost everything they owned. But what did Noah lose? He didn't lose anything. He gained it all. He walked into a brand new world. As Psalm 37 in the Sermon on the Mount teaches, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You don't worry if you're using your time, talent, and treasure for things that matter. If you're living a holy life, if you're here in the Lord's day, and some of you are still watching me on TV because you're lazy and disobedient. I'm not talking about the dear precious mom who's home with those sick kids or someone who has some unusual immune system. I'm talking about disobedient Christians. You need to be here with the people of God where God inhabits the praises of his people. Now listen to your pastor. Please understand obedience is at an all-time low in our day. What I find so interesting is that Adam's son Seth, unlike his brother Cain, wanted to obey God. In Seth's day, in Genesis 4.26, it says, Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. And then what follows is the godly line of Seth. Right down to Noah. And do you know what? Of all these people that came out of Seth's loins, who knew the Lord, who were saved, only two out of the whole bunch does it say, that they walked with God. One is found in Genesis 5, the other in Genesis 6. The Bible says in Genesis 5, 24, Enoch walked with God. And then in 6, 9, Noah walked with God. Now, there are hundreds and hundreds of people here who I have no doubt know the Lord Jesus Christ. But I wonder, how many could God say, that man, that woman, that boy, that girl, they walk with me More than anything else, I want to walk with God. I want my life to count for the living God. Listen, the reason I've taken the time to go over the days of Noah is because we are living in a day where more and more people are being shaped by the culture. We're living right in the midst of a depraved generation. But right in the midst of a godless society, Noah made a series of right decisions, and he was able to raise a godly heritage. Now, I don't know what your past is like. Maybe you don't have a strong line of born-again Christians behind you. But the fact is, is that you can walk with God. You can start a new line. And in the midst of this unholy mess, you can obey God. You say, oh, I've made an unholy mess of my life. Good news, God is in the business of changing lives. If any man is in the Messiah, he is a brand new creation. His old life has passed away and everything has come new. Now the beautiful truth found here in verse 8, notice the contrastive conjunction that it begins with, but, circle it, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a recipient of the grace and favor of God and so can you. Today can be the first day of the rest of your life. First, you make your decisions, and then ultimately, it takes time. Don't be fooled. Your decisions will ultimately make you. So number one, I know I'm ready for his return. 
if I am not being shaped by the culture. Number two, I know I'm ready for his return if I'm walking by faith. If I'm walking by faith. Now, Noah make, made it into what we often call God's hall of fame of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, where God takes those great men and women of the Old Testament, and he highlights so many who walked by faith in the Lord. Listen to these words, Hebrews 11 verse 7. By faith, Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to the faith, according to faith. Now it says here that God warned Noah about things not yet seen. What does it mean, God warned Noah? Did God say, Noah, you better watch out? Actually, the Greek word is an interesting word that is rendered here being warned. It's used outside of the scripture in Koine Greek of someone who transacts business or gives advice. And when the word is used inside of Holy Scripture, it's used to refer to divine instruction or divine communication. You could render it, the sense of the verses, by faith Noah being divinely instructed or divinely communicated about things not yet seen. Of course, we need to ask, what kind of communication did God give him concerning things not yet seen? Verse 7 says, by faith being warned of God about things not yet seen. What was not yet seen? What was it that God warned him about? It never rained before the time of the great flood. Suppose it had never rained before. And someone came up to you and said, it's going to rain. Oh, really? What's rain? Well, you know the water we drink out of the lakes that God has given us? It's actually going to come out of the sky and fall over us. In fact, we're going to have so much of it, even the highest mountain in the world will be underwater. Hey, friend, let me give you the name of a good shrink. There's something wrong with you. Listen, before the great flood, God watered the earth in a different way. Listen to Genesis 2, verses 5 and 6. For the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth. And there was no man to cultivate the ground, but a mist used to rise up from the earth and water the whole surface of the earth. So we learn from Scripture that very possibly there was even around the earth maybe some great water canopy, just like God designed a vapor ring around Saturn. Many Bible scholars believe, based on the reading of the text, that there was a great water canopy, maybe even an ice canopy, all around the world. Listen to what Genesis 1 and verse 6 says. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse and the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so, and God called the expanse heaven or sky. I think what happened is it was kind of a terranium effect, that there was a perfect greenhouse with this water canopy all around the earth. That's why scientists have found up in the Antarctic mammoths Elephants with literal green vegetation when they dug them up in frozen ice. That's why uh, they have found green tropical plants frozen under the ice in the Antarctica. And then when God allowed it all to condescend, because listen, if it rained, all the rain all across the earth, we had a good rain yesterday, at least in Seabrook, and we had some puddles here and there. But if it rained until it could rain no more, it would only be about a foot deep. So the waters came from above, the waters came from below, 
And God covered the whole earth with a flood. So the idea of rain in and of itself was totally foreign to this man. And so God is, Noah is warned by God of something he had never ever seen before. Now it's interesting to compare the language here in Hebrews 11. Look at Hebrews 11 and verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then in verse 7, by faith Noah being warned about things not seen. And so there's that phrase again from God's description of faith, of things not yet seen. Every person in Hebrews chapter 11 received direct revelation from God, instruction from God, and Noah was no exception. Noah had never seen a rainbow before. Why? Because it had never rained before. Noah did not say to God, okay, God, if you're going to send rain, let me at least feel what it's like. No, Noah simply believed what God said. And Hebrews reminds us that faith is the assurance, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. God had spoken clearly. By the way, there's an intellectual component to faith. Faith is not committing intellectual suicide. It's not a matter of psyching yourself into believing something that's not even true. It's not taking a leap into the dark. It's taking a step into the light. And it's based on revelation. Something that God has said. He's not asking you to believe something that you don't even know what it's about. He has given a clear, specific message. It's called the gospel, the death, burial, and the resurrection that he's asking you to believe in in order to be saved. What I'm wanting you to see is that Noah had some facts. It was not some feeling. It was not some liver quiver experience. God had spoken and Noah had believed. He responded in faith because he was a man of faith. Now there's a third lesson I learned from Noah's life. Number three, I know I'm ready for Christ's return if I have a godly fear. If I have a godly fear. Again, I get some divine commentary in Genesis 6 here in Hebrews chapter 11. Very clearly, he was moved with godly fear. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. The King James renders the Greek text this way. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not, not seen as yet, moves with fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. We see a picture here of Noah's faith. In respect... In reverence, the CSB renders it in holy fear. He responded. And I would underscore what I am emphasizing here is that fear is not simply the product of emotionalism. That's our false teachers of our day. They're just emotional lunatics. Taking scripture out of context is a way of life. But again, because people don't even know the Bible, they can't even see these people. They think they're great people. But listen, emotions devoid of truth can be very, very dangerous. You need some, you need some basis in which you can sort through your emotions. And that basis is the word of God. You know, sometimes pastors will say to me, you know, I, I can't seem to get my people to do anything. They just sit there, they're just dead. I said, well, back them up into the word of God. Start teaching expositorily, verse by verse by verse by verse by verse, and you'll move them. Noah received direct revelation from God, and every time we open Holy Scripture, you are reading the revelation of Scripture, the breath of God, and it moved him with fear. 
You say, well, you know, preachers shouldn't motivate people by fear. They should just motivate people by love. It's not an either or. It's a both and. There's nothing wrong with being motivated by fear. Your doctor motivates you with fear. He says, you better stop smoking. You better slow down. You better get more sleep or you're going to have a heart attack. The law motivates you with fear. And now we've got those stickers all over the gas pumps again. You leave without paying for your gas. You'll lose your license. What are they doing? They're motivating you with fear. Even people motivate themselves with fear. They wear these masks. They wash their hands because they don't want to get sick. We look both ways when we cross the street. We're motivated by fear. Why? Because we don't want to get knocked off by a vehicle. But I want to remind you that your greatest danger is not getting hit by a car or getting sick or having a heart attack. Your greatest danger is to die without Christ unforgiven. The Bible says the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. And so by faith, Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. He didn't go around saying, well, what do you think I should do? Sometimes we run around asking people for advice when God has already spoken and he certainly has not stuttered. Noah responded in fear based on the revelation of God. And so in summarizing this man's obedience, we read this in Genesis 6.22. Thus Noah did according to all that God had communicated, had, had commanded him, so he did. And if you go back and study carefully Genesis chapter 6, you will know that there's a whole generation of people who said, Noah, he's crazy. He's out of his mind. He's a little bit fanatical, when in reality, he was the only person who was right. For decades, he built an ark, and for decades, it must have been, poor old Noah, poor old Noah, and then one day, the rain came. Noah was out of step with his generation because he marched to a different drumbeat. He marched according to the revelation of Scripture. And many of you are out of step with this generation. You are a man or a woman or a boy or a girl of faith, and you are marching to a different drumbeat. Again, we read here, by faith Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen and reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world. The NEB renders it, through his faith he put the whole world in the wrong. You see, they saw in Noah a righteous standard and that condemned them. Again, Peter says he was a preacher of righteousness. And so with his words and with his life, he condemned the world. But unfortunately, their hearts were so hard, we read in God's assessment, now the earth was corrupt and the sight of God and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked on the earth and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. What a contrast with Noah. Noah was righteous. Noah was a blameless man in his time. Noah walked with God. He was a person of integrity. And by his blameless life, he condemned the world. Let me ask you, does your life condemn people? I didn't ask you if your words condemned people. I asked you, does your life condemn people? Noah was out of step, and so are many of you this morning. And you need to keep walking like Noah did. And some of you, you're out of step in the wrong way 
and you need to get your life right. He contended as a preacher of righteousness with the people in his day. By his holy life and by the words he spoke, people were brought under the conviction. Now, you say, was everyone lost? Well, during the 120 years that God was waiting on people, we know there were some people who were saved. Methuselah was saved. He gave his life to the Lord. There were probably other boys and girls and people, but on the day the flood came, as time progressed, only eight people in all on the day of the great flood were saved. He condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness according to faith. God has always saved people in the same way. Noah became an heir of righteousness. He didn't earn righteousness. He was an heir of righteousness. It is gifted. He wasn't made righteous by building an ark. He was saved by the grace of God Almighty, and that's how he will save you. Now, I don't know what it was like on the day the flood came. Perhaps people woke up and it was just another sunshiny day like the day before. Remember, it had never rained. And people just were living their routines of life. And then kind of an ominous feeling began to develop. And the clouds began to boil. And there was lightning. And the rain began to fall on the faces. And the great fissures of the deep began to open up. And, and water began to come out of the earth. And that great ark began to float. And people were swimming. No, 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 open it up. But it was too late. God opens the door that no one can shut, and God shuts the door that no one can open. You say, you're just being sensational. That's what they said about old Noah. That he was just some sensationalist. Listen, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, the scripture warns, don't harden your heart. Don't boast about tomorrow because you don't know what tomorrow may bring. You say, well, I don't think he's coming back anytime soon. They didn't think there was a flood coming. And most people are so blind to what is happening around them, Christians included. In the blinking, in the twinkling of an eye, the rapture will happen, and it will be eternally too late for many. Let's bow in prayer. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it shall be in the days of the Son of Man. The same was true in the days of Lot, eating, drinking, buying, selling, planning, building, But just like in Noah's day, and just like in Lot's day, it will be the same when the Son of Man is revealed. Father, help someone today. They are lukewarm and apathetic. Help them to repent and get their hearts right. Help someone today who's unsure of their salvation to call upon Jesus in faith before you stop knocking on their door and you stop striving with them. Help some dear believer who needs to obey you and to be a member of a Bible-believing church to come today. We commit the invitation to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 
7478 and requesting program God's Prophetic Schedule 005. Don't forget that tomorrow we will be live in the studio with Pastor Carl during his live call-in program, The Bible Line. If you have a question that you would like to ask Dr. Brogy personally, give us a call between 11 and noon Eastern, and remember that you can listen to The Bible Line online at wagp.net or call us at 843-525-1859 to ask your questions directly to Pastor Carl. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.